Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This episode 298 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode, I talk to Ryan Throw and TJ Aker of Tiny Dino Games about their time-altering action-adventure game, The Ambassador Fractured Timelines. I really, really like this game. I actually streamed it soon after recording this episode, which is a little while back now. We've got Got a heck of a backlog going here. I might have to stop recording interviews for now for fear of actually creating a bit of a problem. But yes, um, this, we did record this quite a while back. Um, and uh, um, apologies for the guests there for taking so long to get this episode out. But here it is. And I can't recommend this game highly enough. It's wonderful. Uh, really inventive use of time. Uh, you slow time down. You can't reverse it like in... Um, braid but you can slow it down and uh, or even to the point and make it stop and yeah it's really inventive very very well designed um a well crafted game so yeah the ambassador of fractured timelines is a game you should check out but before you do have a listen to this show won't you chris from the far too distant past now please take it away ryan and tj who are you and what do you do um, hello, I'm Ryan. Uh, I am one half of Tiny Dino Games. I am the uh, programmer, and I help with design. Uh, I'm TJ. Uh, I'm the other half. I'm the do the art and also design. Excellent. Right. Well, floating quite well there. Sometimes some guests answer the second question without me asking it. But you're, you know, polite. Rather than you blundering in because if, it's quite uh, obvious why they why guests do this because you feel like you're talking about yourself when i ask you that question uh so again in 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 order previous and ryan and tj could you tell us how did you make your start making video games yeah so i started making games around in high school i had a high school programming class um where it was actually very game focused i think to try to get the uh, students involved so I made a uh, a game called Zombie Apocalypse, and I put it on the school server. 
And this is at a time when uh, like Armor Games and Miniclip and all those different sites were very popular, but our school had um, had a firewall that blocked all those sites. So the next day after I posted it, it was like everybody in the library was playing this game, Zombie Apocalypse. And that just kind of grew into a passion that uh, started to become fully realized uh, in college and uh, through through my early career to what is now um, Ambassador. Nice. So you actually made a game that the whole, well, a lot of the school got engrossed in. That's quite a thing. Quite a thrill. It's like it's like a, when a stand-up finally gets a laugh. Like, oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it was so, validating. Yeah. It was very cool. And it was like a complete joke of a game, too. Like, it was not the highest of quality. And it was made in, like, Visual Basic 6 or something. So it was um, wow. really technically not there but it was fun and that's all that mattered and it was more fun than i guess uh not playing games so people played it excellent yeah it's uh it's either that or um it's like a spreadsheet or some or some other tedious thing that you had to do but because you required to do what what, what about you tj how do you make your start making video games um i always uh i always wanted to make games but i never had like the the avenue to do so because i never learned how to program or anything i never got into that and then uh, i ended up rooming in college randomly being placed with ryan and one day ryan was like hey do you want to help me make art for this game or design this game and we made a little uh like game together and that's kind of where everything started just because we got randomly placed as roommates so you met at university then yeah yes but what were you reading what was it what, was it different courses or was it the same course or um, completely different. I went to school for uh, physics for teaching. Okay. I was a physics teacher beforehand, and then uh, Ryan was majoring in computer science. Right. Actually, I think mechanical engineering. But mechanical engineering at the time, yeah. 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 I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to get a job in this. I got to switch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that happens, isn't it? I, yeah, I get it. Yeah, but uh, and some people sort of, you know, they just get wrapped up in it. But that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Um, well, that's a great start, and the fact that you sort of dived into Visual Basic and stuff—that's really good. And obviously, it's quite interesting when you start using Basic and things like that, and you have to unlearn all that stuff because, like, oh, yeah, the, the logic doesn't work. No, <laughs> oh, it's a pity. Uh-huh. But it, it flows English, yeah. I know. <laughs> but computers don't like that. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so as a creator of things between the pair of you, you can answer this personally. Or indeed, as Tiny Dino Games, it's entirely up to you. But um, this is a bit of a nebulous question, but I think it's, it's still important that it has to be asked. So it, it is this. It's the known, uh, regular listeners will know, it's known, no, they call it the dreaded third question, which is, what are your biggest influences? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, me personally, I was very influenced by indie game the movie early on wow now, what, a film. what a film yeah it was a great film i think yeah. it's really important that i think people know that a lot of what the video indie game landscape nowadays is so much different from when it when that movie was filmed but that was certainly at least an early um influence and that was what made me realize that oh like there might be an actual avenue for me to make games not at a triple a studio um but then as far as just like in, like um influence of ambassador there was like 
the difficulty ramp up and kind of um, structure of Super Meat Boy, as well as just like the gameplay and like feedback of like Nuclear Throne, is I think uh, like from a twin stick shooter standpoint, and also just the general structure like Hotline Miami is kind of I think our main influential points. But I, I don't know. What do you think, TJ? Um, me personally, as far as like like what my inspirations were for designing games were just like the games that I liked when I was little and like what I liked about them. And also what I didn't and like realizing how like the steps you can take to make a game better and kind of wanted like inspired me to try to do so where I could. Um, like, I don't know, I, I always always like a lot of uh, the ambassadors are inspiration and a lot of a little, a little bit of the design uh, comes from Zelda because that was one of my favorite games uh, growing up. Link to the Past was fantastic and one of the greatest games ever made, in my opinion. Um but uh, that's where a lot of my personal design choices came from. Because I'm not a huge uh, like twin stick shooter person before this. Um, like I haven't played a lot of Nuclear Throne or Gungeon or um, or Hotline Miami. So like a lot of my design choices were steeped from that kind of background. It's, it, it feels a little bit like you're standing on the shoulders of giants. But then again, that's always the way with any creative endeavor, or most endeavors actually in that there many have gone before you and had to pioneer a lot of this stuff. And like you say, you played games as a child, as I did, uh, and uh, then you go back to them or you you then realise that what you liked about them, what you don't, what you didn't like about them. Some of them, some of the things you probably remember didn't actually happen because it was the, 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 the mist <laughs> of time. It's like, oh, I remember that totally. Oh, no, wait, it didn't. I, I wished it had, but it didn't. Um, and it's... You definitely feel you're benefiting from over thirty, forty years of design that's been occurred, for you know, for better uh, and for worse, and decisions were made, and some sometimes it weren't didn't work out, but it was the ones that did work out that, that stand the test of time, and I can definitely see those threads with the ambassador of fractured timelines. Definitely see that, um, and that's that's really it's really quite. Um, it's laudable, really, to to see you, you look back and say, "Well, this this is where we went. They went right. This is where we're wrong. And this this is now people are the, the actual experience of playing a game is way better. On the way the, the understanding of that experience, what it really means to, to to play a game and enjoy it, is something that wasn't really understood back in the day because they were making it up as they go along, and people still are." make it up as they go <laughs> but there weren't books and university courses as they are now and uh that's definitely it's a wonderful thing that you can have you can you can build off of that and then continue to grow and there's definitely signs of that in in um ambassador so yeah well done for that one and it's it's a great influence to 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 to, to lean into so, uh, next question. Uh, this is equally as, as annoying as the last one. <laughs> Not annoying, but it's a bit like, oh, I, I have no idea. You probably never thought about it, but I'm going to ask you anyway because I think it uh, tells much about, again, it's related to the previous question. All of these kind of flow into each other uh, um, deliberately. But, um, Again, you can answer this as individuals, I suspect, or maybe as as as, as Tiny Dino Games. It's not up to you. But um, what developer do you most admire in the industry, and why? Oh, that's a good one. 
Um, I'll answer personally. Okay. Um, and then I'll let TJ TJ can answer, of course, personally or as Tiny Dino Games. Um, I really like the work of Lambier, and specifically of uh, Rami. Um, one, I just think they their sort of style aligns with ours in a few different ways. Um, just with, as far as the feedback and trying to get big impacts in just in small things. Um, but even more so, just on top of that, Rami's a very uh, vocal figure in the indie game space. Um, he's vocal in a way that a lot of um, a lot of other developers aren't, and he kind of serves as sort of a sort of a guide for especially people starting out and people just doing their first game. And so that's why I think um, I was kind of drawn to him. Um, I was also drawn to the work of uh, Tommy and Edmund, specifically with Super Meat Boy. But these days, it's mostly Rami, I'd say. Yeah, Nuclear Throne is an extraordinary game, and it's another game recently released. I forget what it's called, but it's it looks simple, but it is really isn't. And uh, Ultra Bugs, that's the one. Yeah, Ultra Bugs. Yeah, we played that at uh, PAX East. It's a uh, it's a cool game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was there for that as well. It's good. They had a good mm-hmm. setup there. Yeah, um, I don't like. Yeah, I kept on missing him though. I have yet to mm. get him on the show. I'm embarrassed to admit. I'm sure he'd love to, God. but uh, a he's cool to talk to. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say my my answer to that question is the same. Rami, oh. just uh, from a personal level, because yeah. we, we met him at PAX, uh, PAX East and just like just walking by, like we were talking to him and he's like, sit down. And we just sat there and talked to him for like a half hour. And it was just like very inviting. That's the thing about like shows like PAX and stuff like all the there's no like, I don't know, in our experience, at least there's no like combative feelings um, between developers like. It's it's very much a kind of an inclusive uh, atmosphere impacts like everyone kind of wants everyone else to succeed. Yeah, uh, and it was really cool having never met him, like knowing nothing about our game or our company. Just was like sit down and we just talked for like a half hour about our game, and he was just actively interested in in the way that we the way that we solved problems that were similar that he faced on Nuclear Throne, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Um... That show, it, it like EGX and, and Rezzed as well, we have over here in the UK. Um, they're very mirrored. Um, in fact, because they're run by the same people now. But, um, you know, thankfully I go to both. And there are times when developers will say, oh, Chris, where else have you seen? <laughs> like, I'll come to their booth to see. They go, oh, yeah, great. What else have you seen on the show floor that I need to see? Because they're sort of tied to their booth for ages. And they say, oh, Chris, well, you, I'm wandering around seeing everything. I mean, I could see I could see up to fifty games in a show. It's not not unusual to have that, that happen. And they'll just ask me, oh, what's, "What's the best thing you've seen?" So I can go and have a look. <laughs> you know, because there's a genuine the community effect. Even though you're only there for four days, I say only. Uh, <laughs> it feels like twenty, but towards the end of it, you're exhausted. But you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's 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 um, some argue it's one day too long. Maybe it is, but uh, um, the point is, it's that long. That's what it is now, and. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a community, a sense of community there, and the indie mega booth is just a, it's a, it's a thing. It's a, one of the, it's a, it's a, almost a people sort of gravitate towards it, and it's a big swarm. You have to be very careful about what time you actually go there because <laughs> it can be, yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, a good good answer though. Rami's uh, uh, a as well. What a, what a game, bonkers. Oh, it's great, and it's so hard to master. Really is. You think you got it, you think you got it, and then you don't. <laughs> and that's that's really that balance of uh, 
of keep maintaining the challenge even though you're, you're planning hours into it it's quite a thing yeah they're very good at getting uh depth through simplicity yeah it's kind of an art yeah less is more and all that yep. exactly. yeah especially with his design philosophy around ultra bucks is like is you can sit in the beginning of the game and never shoot an enemy and you can effectively play the game forever but once you start shooting enemies, then there more enemies are spawned. So it's like the player's decisions that are causing the end state of the game, which is yeah. like a really interesting uh, design philosophy. You win yeah. the game by not playing. Yeah. yeah. Kind of funny. Well, last question of the first half. So you made it. But here we go. Oh. And this one I, I'm legally obliged to ask <laughs> because it's a podcast about video games. So here it is. What are you playing right now? Oh no, this is bad. I'm playing RuneScape right now, man. <laughs> RuneScape. Wow. Yeah, I'm playing some old school RuneScape. I just I just grinded out a dragon scimitar. Um <laughs> just because uh releasing a game is taxing and yes. uh, by the end of it you're just exhausted and I was like, Oh my god, I need to just take a break and turn my brain off for a while. So right. I've been playing some RuneScape, playing I've played some occasional Dota two and I've been playing some Fall Guys. Yes. Yes, all all good. Uh, I love Dota. I'm afraid it's just some of the community there, and it's also it's difficult for when when other players come in and then you try to coach them and others get impatient and yeah. Try, I mean the whole we've had it, we've had this discussion about uh, mobis before, but the fact that you're not the center of the universe is difficult for players to comprehend. Yeah, people need to be nicer to each other in Dota. Yeah. They really do. The community's pretty. <laughs> Because without them, you can't actually, you know, succeed. So why are you being so, you know? Yeah. And it's just, you know, if you want your game, your community to thrive and continue to exist, you need new people. It's very strange, this whole culture of, uh, like, oh, you're new? Well, then you're an idiot. Like, well, you yeah, were that exactly. person once. Do you remember that? Yeah. So, yep. you know, it's very strange. Uh, the whole phenomena of the newbies. Like, it's... <laughs> But yeah, you I think it's, really like you know your game will die without them. So, <laughs> yep, exactly. Like I think it's I think it's always a unfortunate sign of a community when most games you come out of it disliking your teammates more than your enemies. They're like more than your <laughs> yeah. players. Like I think yeah, that's usually a sign of a very toxic community, and that's the, like constant in Dota. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but it's a good game. It's, it's great. The game's not the, really the problem. It's as I said, the whole dynamic of you not being the center universe is wonderful. I think it's yes. wonderful, uh, and that's very, very, very unusual. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why people are drawn to it because it is so unusual. Uh, yep. And many people have tried to emulate it and failed. Uh, but uh, there's still League and Dota; they're the two that remain. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. So uh, yeah, good call. And of course, yeah, Fall Guys. It's just yeah. Uh, for me, my brain turning off game is Animal Crossing at the moment. Still at it. Oh, nice. So, oh, look. Yeah, so, oh, look. I've got a five-star island now, so there you go. I'm done. <laughs> uh, what about you, TJ? What are you, uh, what's distracting you away from uh, things? Um, when I need a break, I usually will just hop onto Minecraft. It's okay. honestly just a game that I can be creative with without the pressure of, like, someone needs to like this or someone needs to like how this looks. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of similar, uh, like, ideas between like the way you make curves and stuff and pixel art it so it's just a a low stress environment to to get creative 
Um, and then also my uh, my lo- my youngest cousin finally got into gaming and stuff. So I've been playing a lot of Fall Guys with her just because it's a game to play with her who has like no skills uh, or like classical skills in video gaming. Um, so that's been a lot of fun just watching her kind of experience games in general. Nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it is um, a remarkable game, and the fact that the, the whole the thing it just it throws itself out the screen, doesn't it? Really, at you. How they do that, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But it's just, as an artist, you must appreciate like that really should not work. You see the whole contrast and the movement of the of the uh, you, it goes against everything you know and everything you've been taught, and yet it works, but it almost doesn't. Very clever. Yeah, as a as a like as a game designer, like there's so many things in that game that I was like, wow, I would do that way different. But like, ultimately, that might make it a worse game if I did it (laughs) the way I wanted to do it. Exactly. And uh, but no, no, good good shout. Kind of perfect storm of of a bunch of different things. And with Minecraft, is it like you play in survival or is it just creative mode? Like, I play in survival, actually. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. I just <laughs> I, I got into that first and then i just been building in one place. Me too. Just kind of doing stuff. That's what, you know, the game started out as that, right? All those years ago. Yeah. So I'm just this purist, like, yeah, I love being attacked every night. What? It just gives me a purpose to build this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Creative feels like cheating because like yeah. you don't have to work for any of the resources you want and yeah. there's something to saying like oh I went and did this or I went and got these materials to build this thing that I wanted the way I wanted it instead of just arbitrarily picking a block out of the out of yeah. the menu. It Guessing. adds a new dynamic or an extra dynamic to design in Minecraft, which I like because you you do have like scoping concerns and things. Yeah, you have a cost to the don't. thing. Yeah, exactly. And I guess you kind of have that in creative mode for like extreme structures because then your you know your your uh, limiting factor is your time. But it's nice to have kind of like an in-game element to kind of dictate some of those things. Yeah, and get excited over a lump of coal. It's not often you get, them, <laughs> but, you know. So oh, look. See, I've been spending two hours, and there it is. Oh, damn it. Now I'm going to have my face chewed off. But it's okay. At least you, you know, found the coal. One time I found diamonds before I found iron in a game of Minecraft. That was frustrating. <laughs> I'll put the controller down at that point, or mouse or whatever. It's like, okay, I think we're done. <laughs> it was, it was Worst really seed ever. <laughs> yep. yep. I spent like two hours, found diamonds. No, no iron to go get my diamonds, but I knew where the diamonds were. Oh, great. Yeah. Yep. Great. Useless. Can't do anything with it apart from <laughs> cut other diamonds. Rubbish. Right. So, that's the end of the first half. Let us move on to the second half where we delve deep, no pun intended, into the Ambassador Fractured Timelines.
Right, so before we can delve deep, we need to ask you the fundamental question about, in your own words, what you believe the ambassador to timelines is actually. What is it? Sure, uh, yeah. DJ, I'll let you take this one because you're much better at explaining it than I am. Okay. Um, uh, we kind of got it down to a simple sentence, but it's just a um, uh, twin stick fantasy shooter focused around the ability to pause time. And that's kind of what everything revolves around. Everything, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't use it because you think you're, you know, you're smart and special, you might want to choose another game because just the game is anchored around a concept of you freezing time, not fast forwarding, not going back. Oh no, no, that's another game beginning with B. No, this <laughs> this is about just freezing. I say just. That's a formidable power, which we'll talk about. Now, because my first question is this. In the Ambassador of Fractured Timelines, uh, it is anchored around holding time while allowing player to do things within that time that you've frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a phenomenally powerful skill. How have you... What have you done to train the player into exploiting this over and above the tutorial. What do you think you've done throughout the whole experience of designing each interaction? Knowing that the game is anchored around this concept, what do you think you've done to inform and train the player of this? That's... Um, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I'll go real quick. Uh, So we put a lot of effort in structuring the levels as well as the enemies around necessitating some form of stopping time. So if you play the tutorial, the first thing that you uh, run into is a bridge that requires you, that blows up as you run across it. And it blows up at a faster rate than you can run. So the the logical thing you do is stop time to get away from the bridge. Um, And then we extend that logic into doors that go down on certain intervals or bomb traps that'll blow you up if you don't get out of their way or arrow trap or similarly arrow traps um and all those things just within the world require some manipulation of time to survive and then um on top of that we also have enemies such as we've got this enemy with a giant axe that swings in 360 degrees um and when he winds up to do that if you're close the only way you're going to get away from him is if you do, in fact, stop time to get away, and then you'll have a chance to shoot at him. So those are just like the core ways in which we reinforce the mechanic, and then once the player's used to stopping time in that way, then they'll use it a little bit more freely to their benefit in combat, not just as a necessity, but as a tool. Yeah. It's the axe fellow. He, he's, he's a fine individual, that I'd love pummeling with, with one sort. Of, I just like I just I over keep on shooting even after he's dead. Like <laughs> he's a pain. He's one of the first enemies we designed. I think. Yeah, he's just like, like once you figure him out, he's like you know he's just a minor annoyance. But it's the mm-hmm. figuring out got exactly. me. It's like I will just stop it. Just okay. I mean, it's so gratifying when you just take him out. Like. You think you're odd. You think you've got all of this. You think you can't. You can't be stopped. Oh, contraire. 
Uh, I always like uh, leading other enemies into him because he'll kill those enemies and with his swing sometimes. That's, yes, that's I mean, sadly, I didn't include this in the questions, but there is friendly fire in this game. Yes. Um, the enemies will shoot arrows at you through their own compadres, which I think is like, what yes. are you doing? <laughs> yes, and that's actually so. I'm going to go programmer mode. That's actually just a benefit of lazy coding, because uh, what you would want to do to turn friendly fire off is you'd want them to first aim then look down the line at which they are aiming and see if there's an if there's an enemy unit or one of their friendly units in the way and if yeah. so you'd have them not shoot and i was like that's a lot of computation and i don't feel like writing it so let's just make the arrows hurt everything their friendly units and i bet you that'll be more fun anyway and it and is it is exactly it's funnier and you know considering these people are you know horrible they probably wouldn't care so, <laughs> especially their boss who is well let's not talk about him anyway it's uh, a TJ, place for the, the yeah 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 it's a the, yeah, like, yeah. just going off of that really quick it's a place for the player to feel like they're outsmarting the game and those are always like the best play best things to design into your game is areas for the player to feel like they're smarter than you um, by using those enemies to kill a bunch of enemies or to, to get past a, an obstacle or something. Um, so that was a lot of the intentionality. Um, going back to the first the original question, um, the the long the thing that took us the longest on development or designing, I guess, it was getting people to use the skill. Um, uh, at the beginning of when we made our first demo, people were like, wow, this game's so hard. It's like, well, you played the game without ever using time stop. Like, that's an incredibly powerful skill, and you're not using it. And I think the the people that are hardest to train are the people that be most drawn to the game because it's a twin stick. They're like kind of leaning on their abilities as a twin stick player rather than using this overpowered ability. Um, so we had to uh, we had to design a lot of areas where they can't progress unless they use it. Um, to get into the rhythm of, of becoming, like trying to add something to their skill set that didn't exist before. Um, I approached yeah, so it, it really... from a blank slate. I said, no, this, yeah. is not, <laughs> this is not Geometry Wars. And also the time the, the time thing, the clues in the title, everyone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like fractured time, time. And the fact exactly. you give me ability to hit pause whilst being able to do stuff, that freaked me out. Like, wait, time's frozen, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. <laughs> that is absolutely terrifying because that means you're you're whizzing around faster than everyone else is. Basically, yes. It's like that st- episode in the original Star Trek where they had people running around so fast that their their speech was um, a buzzing sound. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's just... I like to think of it as the Futurama episode where Fry has like 300 cups of coffee or whatever <laughs> he's zipping around everywhere that's a better reference well done I, the, the Star, the Star Trek no the Star Trek one was just so ages me terribly I get that that's fine um, so next one I want to talk about um, is the health system this I find fascinating, and I know why you did it, but I want you to explain why. So the health system is terribly granular. It's good in that you have, you know, X amount of hearts depending on what you're wearing and stuff because you do have different gear, everyone. You you have um, different, depending on what you're wearing and stuff and what you're using, you actually have different uh, levels of health and stuff. It's wonderful. It's, it's really intuitive and easy to understand. At least I found it to be. But um, there's five little pips 
and they are indicating that every time you eat, if you have a full one of those sort of pips, um, you can eat food and regain health. Great. Trouble is, you stop moving when you're eating. Unlike, you know, Diablo or or similar games where you just sort of mash away at the health thing to, to replenish and carry on fighting, this kind of, you know, with the Ambassador Fractured Timelines, you're required to stop. So what are you doing? Munch away at some steak or something, or or, or, or cheesy poofs or whatever you're eating, and then um, then carry on. Why did you do that? Why? What, what was that about? What was your thinking behind that? Was it by accident or by design? Um, a little bit of both. To me, it just seemed like the right thing to do, being that if you're going to be doing something as powerful as regaining health, there should be a period of vulnerability in which you're allowed to do that. That is my thought process behind it. So before we before we installed the like this the being stopped portion, uh, it, the game kind of became trivial, especially the bosses, because you could just be running, uh, running, shooting, and then just hitting E to get your hearts back. So you basically just functionally have eight health in the boss yeah. fight, which is uh, it's. It rewards people who can spam the E button as fast as they can, but it's not a very interesting design choice. Um, no. So I actually got inspired for this from playing uh, Hollow Knight, where you have to like you have to literally hold it for longer than an hour game, and you just sit there and consume that that uh, resource into a heart or into a health piece or whatever in Hollow Knight. So I thought it would be interesting to have the player have to make that choice. Like, am I safe to eat? And usually the times where you want to eat, you're not safe. So it's finding, uh, find, trying to find the safe spots in the zone um, to eat um, to get back into that fight, especially during the boss fights. Oh, yes, the boss fights. Sorry. Um, <laughs> this one particular <laughs> one I had so much fun with. I, yeah. Um, oh, which uh, one was it? Oh, it's the it's the chapter tables. I managed to defeat him in the end because I went to other areas okay. and got more powerful. <laughs> but uh, I was screaming like Sting in Dune. I will kill him. I will. Fergus, <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually uh, that's personally my favorite fight in the game. Is that fight? It's just so funny the fact he's throwing tables at you. That's not a spoiler, everyone. It really you get to it pretty quickly, uh, and when you do, it's just like. What? They've got little dudes come out and help him. What? I don't need this. Stop it. Yeah. I've got to, you know, it's just, you've got, you've got this. So it, it is the experience of the Ambassador Factor Timelines in just one scene. And it just encapsulates what it's about. And once you figure that out and once you overcome it, it's, uh, I'm not saying it, it, it gets easier, no, but then you understand the, the, I use the phrase, the lexicon of every game has a lexicon. Everything from Solitaire right through to Europa Universalist 4, they all have a language. And um, that, for me, was the, the, uh, the, the proof, if you will, uh, uh, for that whole experience, that whole fight. So, yeah, well done with that. Thank you. A lot Thank of enemies, yeah, uh, uh, it's really well well designed. So a lot of enemies, speaking of design, uh, a lot of enemies in an Ambassador Fracture Timelines can only be defeated by using the time freezing ability. We've already covered this, I'll grant you. But let's expand a little bit more. How have you found designing these encounters to maintain their level of challenge to the player? 
and then getting to them. Because we've already stated and explained that you can freeze time. It's not indefinite. You can't do it, you know, for a whole... There's a limited amount of time you can actually freeze time. <laughs> but you can do that. You can stop everything. Um, so how have you found designing encounters uh, with, uh, knowing that the player has this ability? Um, well, I think the first most important thing is that they should all feel legitimately different in some way. And so I think a good example of that is if you take the halberdier enemy, he's the guy with the giant axe that swings in 360 degrees, he's unique in the fact that you must walk up to him and then he does a big AoE attack around him. And then if you progress later in the game, uh, you encounter what we call ambush druids, and these are guys that jump up off the top of the screen and then they come down and land on where you're standing and then do a big AOE damage. So the difference being is that the AOE moves from where the enemy is to where you are. And that is and that fundamentally is a much more difficult leap to deal with. Um so it's just a matter of finding those difficult enemy encounters and then placing them in the correct parts of the game to get a appropriate difficulty ramp yeah and on top of that yeah, sorry, sorry. Go, ahead. Go, go ahead tj i was just gonna I was just say, on top of that it's finding finding unique ways for those vulnerability states to incur while also not being too different so that the player doesn't have to learn like a completely new thing every time so there was a little bit of a balancing act trying to cause like a lot of times the players will get to another enemy or enemy and then try the same tactic they used against the previous one and then quickly find out that that won't work. Yeah, I mean, people might sort of equate this to, I'm going to say it, um, the Souls-like game, but it's not that. It's not that because that is about you just being a combat, a combat uh, having these abilities um, that basically are dodge or rolling around or just reading what the what the enemy's doing. It's not the case with Ambassador Fractured Timelines. It's not the case. It's something different. It's like you have this ability, you've got to time your ability and use this ability just right at the right time to then defeat this foe. That's a different different matchup and uh, to to equate one or the other is folly in my view. They're, they're two different experiences. One is about measured and controlled um, uh, attacks, which is fine and wonderful, and there's now a plethora of games that deal with that space or that kind of experience, whereas this is about being this phenomenally powerful wizard, because that's what you are, <laughs> and defeating swaths of enemies that are being thrown at you from every direction just because you can say, you know what, let's do a Neo and just stop everything for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yep. that's what I've, I've found the most people most of the people who who claim the game is souls like in any way are the people that use time stuff the least and rely rather on their their own aiming or own twin stick skills yeah mm -hmm. and that's not what this game's about the the uh the ambassador's fractured timeline is not really about that it's something it wants you to think in another way and that's great because we, you know, there's just nothing wrong with that. And just, just think about, like, just imagine if you were Neo and what could you do with that? <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to stop everything. Okay. Then I'm going to punch him in the face. 
Okay, then I'm gonna unfreeze it, and then it's gonna stop, and then it's gonna come back, and I go, "Where'd this black eye come from?" Well, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you know. Last question. Last question. Uh, I know good things must come to an end, but uh, and this one I've, I've asked a couple of times on other 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 episodes, and I find it fascinating because in now in the design of of uh, games, uh, memory isn't really uh, a resource as it used to be back in the day and thank and because of that there's people been really experimenting with this aspect of video game design and i want you to to expand on it i've just found that the play space that the player occupies and the size of them and their and the enemies and the foes they're facing is quite large it's a little bit oversized from what i'm used to why how did this come about? Why have you adopted this, this, uh, this, this smaller play space? Because for me, it seems to imply that the player really needs to know where they are relative to hazards and the enemies that are coming at them. Is that how it came about? Can you talk us through how the play space was designed in uh, Ambassador Fracture Timelines? So I think actually the way it happened for us, and I don't know, maybe TJ will agree or disagree with this, is we went with that kind of zoomed in big pixel art style first. And then the design the design of making sure that the player would need to know where things are kind of followed that. Um, I don't know, TJ, what do you, what do you think? Um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, a lot of the... Uh like the design choices behind like the level design, like Ryan said earlier was kind of uh, inspired by uh, super meat boy in terms of like you, they're kind of short chunky levels um, where the satisfaction comes in completing them. So when you, when you do one and you get hit by an obstacle off screen or that you don't see, or that you forgot to, to listen to, or to, I forgot to remember where it was rather. Um, the next time you, you there's no punishment for dying so you get should put right back into the level um and then you're just reliant on remembering that that is there and now you know so like it's kind of uh by repetition um where you kind of build up the skills to make them through the level um but yeah like like ryan said that wasn't really a top-down um design aspect it was kind of uh, along the way like we picked that resolution and then we just kind of ran with it um, after the fact and designed this, around it. Yeah. And like this game was built through accidents and screw ups and iteration over the course of like three years. Cause we started off with not like knowing barely anything about how to actually properly make a game. And then this is where we ended up. So in some ways we kind of did things backwards or we did the, the wrong thing first and then just kind of designed around those decisions later. That kind of makes it sound like we did a lot of things unintentionally, but there was a lot of intentionality, but there were definitely some uh, some unintentional things that happened, yes. but it, not all of it, obviously. There are many, many times when we scrapped a whole chunk of things and yeah. <laughs> redid it from the ground up. <laughs> yes. The game was actually completely recoded about uh, like a year and a half Halfway ago now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 50% of the way through, we literally scrapped the entire thing and started over. So, Yeah, I mean, this is something yeah. that people working outside don't understand, that the creative process is extremely destructive, something we've mentioned a lot 
and in this show, the amount of stuff he gets that hits the cutting room floor can sometimes and often um, outweigh what has actually arrived in the final oh, yeah. product. Um, yeah, and Absolutely. it's just that's okay because you know when you're when you're when you have a lump of marble and you're carving something out, most of the marble's gone. Uh, but uh, there it is. You've you've made your thing now, and yep. it, it's it, it, it is before you. You've carved it out. And what what a thing you've made, which is the Ambassador of Fractured Timelines by Tiny Dino Games. Where's the name of the the uh, <laughs> studio comes from? I, I, we always ask this question. We get a variety of answers. Was this a three AM decision or what? what what's... <laughs> it's a, uh, a strange story. So uh, we lived in an apartment uh, together on off campus uh, during college or during university of college. Um, and one of our roommates moved out um, and we never got a fourth roommate. So we we went to the dollar store one day and we bought an inflatable dinosaur um, and we joked that he was our fourth roommate. And it was a little green dinosaur and that kind of evolved into our mascot for the company <laughs> from yep. that ridiculous little inflatable dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of reminds us of my time at university when we had a mascot, but it wasn't an inflatable dinosaur. It was a two-year-old bottle of semi-skimmed milk. God. God. (laughs) That we called Babbles. Babbles. And we decided... It started to smell, and we decided that was its way of communicating to us. And we realised it was probably not best to leave it in, so we put it outside in the shed. Uh, and then we, we would occasionally visit. I do remember it went black and had these red veins coming up the side of it. It was pretty grim. Oh, my God. So that was, yeah, that was the thing that happened. Babbles, the bottle of milk that was two years old. I can't remember what happened to it. I think we just left it there for the following residents to to discover. Um <laughs> He did Babbles dirty. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. I don't know what happened to Jeldon, to tell you the truth. Or, or, we, uh... He was in, he was inflatable, so he got a lot of holes. Uh, oh, and then right, eventually, yeah. we had to uh, we get we eventually got a plush dinosaur to replace him, and he's still up on my shelf at my desk. I'm looking right now, <laughs> but we still have him. We just don't have the original body. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's what I was saying. The Ambassador Fractured Timelines by Tiny Dino Games, published by Quantum Astrophysicist Guild we've had on the show by the way uh is out now on now i've got the platforms wrong before so rather than me mess this up would you be so kind as to explain what platforms um, yes the ambassador uh, fractured timelines is on yeah it's on windows through steam you can get it on xbox and nintendo switch and it's windows pc yes 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 okay it's not it, it, okay right good well Ryan and TJ, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Thank you for being such excellent guests. You have been. And, Thank uh, you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us on. And um, you're more than welcome to come back because we've had a lot of return guests because the show's been going for so long. And we've had people go, oh, I'll come back in three years and five years later. And <laughs> go, oh, yes, I've finally done the thing that we're working on. See, I told you. And but they've come back and it's great. It does mean you don't have to ask the first half of the show because you've answered that already. <laughs> so it's kind of a shorter show, but it's fine. It's fine. But again, yeah, definitely. We'll keep in touch. 
Yep, please absolutely. do, please do. Um, but again, thank you very, very much. No problem. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, canandrinse.com.